You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Gracious God, on this Good Friday, help us remember your Son. Help us remember his death. Help us remember his death for us. All for his glory and our salvation, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, friends, imagine gaining everything only to lose it all. Gaining the job only to be unexpectedly retrenched. Gaining the relationship only for it to end in tears. Gaining retirement only to find that your savings have dried up. Well, imagine now gaining a child after years of trying only for him now to be taken away from you. Just imagine Abraham's grief. You see, this man and his barren wife, they have waited 25 years for God to keep his promise of a child. And finally, finally, with Abraham at 100 years old and Sarah not far behind, God gives them Isaac, their miracle child. Just imagine the joy that these two elderly parents must be feeling. The affection they must have for their only beloved son. But as soon as Abraham gains everything, he now risks losing it all. You see, years have passed since Isaac was born. The baby is now a boy. And God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Do you get what God is saying here? That the son for whom you waited 25 years, your only son, the son whom you love, sacrifice him. Give him up. Let him go. Why in the world would God command this? I mean, it was just one chapter ago when he promised Abraham that your offspring will be traced through Isaac. But but what offspring can there be if Isaac himself now dies? Why in the world would God make that same promise year after year after year for two and a half decades and even keep that promise only for him now, moments later, to take it all away? You see, in Isaac, Abraham gained everything. But now, he risks losing it all. And yet, for for some reason, for some incomprehensible reason, at least beyond my own understanding, Abraham trusts the Lord. He he holds on to God's original promise. And and notice, it's, it's much more than just private faith. No, Abraham acts on his faith. He obeys in faith. In verse 3, uh, he wakes up early, saddles his donkey and journeys with his son and two men to the mountain of the Lord. I, I can't even begin to imagine how, how conflicted Abraham must be feeling every step of the way. You see, on the one hand, he has God's promise seared into his memory for over 25 years that Isaac must live. 
But, but on the other hand, he has God's command weighing on his heart that Isaac must die. But in all this confusion, and in all the conflict that is raging on within him, Abraham trusts. Abraham obeys. In fact, he trusts and obeys God all the way to verse 9, where he binds his son, takes the knife, and is about to kill him. But did you notice that along the journey, there, there have been subtle hints of hope? The smallest of signs that Abraham believes that in some way, in some way, God will not let Isaac die. In verse 5, what does Abraham say to his two men? The boy and I will go over there to worship, then will come back to you. Not I'll come back to you, but together, the two of us will come back to you. Or in verse 8, Abraham tells his son, God himself will provide, not the boy, not the child, not the human, but the lamb for the burnt offering. You see, in his heart of hearts, Abraham believes that God will honour his promise. He doesn't know how, but, but even in the face of losing it all, he believes that God will provide. And that's exactly what God does. You see, brothers and sisters, what God promises, God always provides. Uh, in verse 11, an angel of the Lord intervenes and saves Isaac from imminent death. When Abraham looks up, what does he see? He sees a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. A ram who will die in the place of his son. You see, God provides a substitute and a sacrifice to save his people. He gives Abraham, Isaac, and through them all their future descendants life through the death of this one ram. And because Isaac lives, verse 17 says that it's not just his offspring who will be numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore, but through them, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Friends, just, just pause here for a moment. Just, just think about this for one second. You see, this, this whole episode, it doesn't just show us that God provides. No, it goes deeper. It shows us what God provides. It shows us that God provides a substitute and sacrifice. Someone to die in our place. Someone to take our death so that we might receive its life. You see, friends, what we see in this episode is a picture of a far greater reality. It's an image of that far greater event that we remember on this Good Friday. When God, yet again, for the last time, provided a substitute. But, but this substitute, this time, it's not for Isaac. No, this substitute is for you and he's for me. This substitute, he, he dies in our place. He gives us a new life, a clean slate and a clear conscience. You see, God provides a substitute and sacrifice to save us from death. Just like Isaac, our life was on the line and we were staring death in the face. But unlike Isaac, 
We were facing death, not, not as a test of Abraham's faith, but as a consequence of our sin. I mean, we've seen it right throughout Genesis, haven't we? All of us, all of us are the serial unfaith- serially unfaithful spouse. We're the distrustful partner. They're the rebellious child. That just like Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, we've rejected God's word and seized God's glory. We've insisted on living as gods of our own lives. That is why we're staring death in the face. Not as a test of faith, but as a consequence of sin. And yet, God does for us exactly what he did for Isaac. Abraham says in verse 14, the Lord will provide. And provide, he does. Yet again, he provides a substitute. Yet again, he provides a sacrifice to die in our place. But this time, the sacrifice is no mere ram. No, Mark chapter 1 tells us that it's Jesus. It's God's beloved son. Just think about that for a moment. Abraham was was so committed to God that he would give up Isaac, his only beloved son. And God is so committed to us that he actually gave Jesus his only beloved son. You see, there's the difference. Isaac was saved out of death, but Jesus actually suffered death. In Genesis 22, it's not Isaac who points to Jesus. It's the ram, the sacrifice, the the substitute. That's who Jesus is for us. When Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, friends, can I tell you, he couldn't have imagined the extent of what God would actually provide. It wasn't just the ram that God provided for Isaac. No, it was the lamb he provided for us. It was Jesus, God's only beloved son. So when Jesus comes into the world, John the Baptist sees him. And what does he say? Here, here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's exactly who Jesus is. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he dies in our place so that we can have life through him. You see, friends, if you're afraid that you might gain everything only to lose it all, can I tell you, Jesus lost everything so that we might gain it all. If Abraham's sacrifice of his only son shows the extent of his love for God, then God's sacrifice of his only son shows the extent of his love for us. So many of us in our heart of hearts believe ourselves to be unlovable. And we wonder to ourselves, how in the world could anyone love me? And then how how could a perfect and holy God ever love me? You might hear, Jesus loves you, this I know. You might understand it in your head, but you might not believe it or feel it in your heart. Friends, can I tell you, God is so committed to his promise. He's so committed to his people. He's so committed to you. 
that he gave up his only beloved son to die in your place. That is how much he loves you. In the words of Romans 8.31, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? And catch this, he did not even spare his own son. But just like Abraham offered him up for us all, how will he not also with him grant us everything? You see, friends, that ram died in Isaac's place to give him life. And Jesus died in our place to give us life eternal, to give us a new life where our sins are forgiven, our shame is covered, our fears are quelled and our past is forgiven. Jesus died as the ultimate substitute, the ultimate sacrifice to save us from our sins. There is a reason, friends, that John 3.16 is the most well-known verse in the Bible. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For those of us who believe in Jesus, God is calling us this Good Friday to respond like Abraham. He's calling us to to not just trust him, but to obey him. You see, verse 1 tells us that this this whole episode is a test of Abraham's faith. It's not a test to catch him out. It's not a test for him to fail. No, this is a test to strengthen his faith, to refine his faith, to prove the genuineness of his faith. It's a test so that his faith might work itself out in obedience, even in the face of losing it all. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's all too easy for me to say, I trust God in my heart. But when the crunch comes, I might say I trust him in my heart, but I do not obey him in my life. I simply don't respond with Abraham's words, here I am. You know, James refers back to Genesis 22. And he tells us that that we might be saved by faith alone, but that saving faith, it never comes alone. James 2.22 says, You see that faith was active together with Abraham's works. And by works, faith was made complete. You see, genuine faith is always accompanied by good works. Faith is always paired with obedience, deep roots, always bear healthy fruit. And so this whole episode, it raises a question for us today. Are we both trusting God and obeying God? Are we, like Abraham, facing the trials of life as tests of our faith? Are we seeing them as opportunities to strengthen, refine, and prove the genuineness of our trust in God? James 1 tells us that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You know, in that sense, every trial in our life is is a Genesis 22 moment, as it were. It's fuel for our faith. An opportunity to keep on going, keep on trusting, and keep on believing the goodness of our God. 
You know, after the year that we had last year, I know that even though we're in April right now, some of us feel like we've been running a two-year-long emotional marathon. It's hard to know where we're at in the year, isn't it? And even though it seems relatively early in the year, we feel tired. Relationships are strained. Friendships are fractured. And so often we just want to give up. And in our exhaustion, we might even wonder, does God still care for me? Will God provide for me? Genesis 22, it injects into the marrow of our bones a deep conviction that God will provide. In fact, God has provided. You see, on this day, over 2,000 years ago, he provided his only beloved son, Jesus, who would be that sacrifice and substitute to save you and me from our sin. In one sense, he's given us every reason to trust him, every reason to hold on to him, and every reason to obey him. Guys, he did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. So how will he not also with him grant us everything? Not some things, not even most things, but everything, every spiritual gift. You see, if you're struggling to endure, if you're feeling that the trials of life are wearing you thin, don't just trust God in your heart. The best way to persevere is to obey him with your life. Keep living his way. Keep obeying his words. Keep loving his people. Because if God really has given you his everything, can I tell you, you cannot lose at all. If you're here exploring Christianity, you might look around and wonder, why are all these Christians such strange people? Why have they given their lives for Jesus? I mean, why have they given their everything all just for this one man? What is it about Jesus that motivates someone to give their whole life to him? It's a great question. And let me tell you the answer because I love telling the answer. You see, we give Jesus our everything. We cast our lot in with this one man. Because when we were at our worst, God gave us his best. He gave us his only beloved son. He gave us Jesus to be the sacrifice. He gave us Jesus to be our substitute. And on this Good Friday, just like that ram died so that Isaac might live, can I tell you, friends, Jesus died so that you might live and so that I might live. You see, giving Jesus our everything is worth it all. Losing everything for him is worth it all. Because when you lose everything for Jesus, you get it all and so much more. When you go all in with Jesus, God goes all in with you. Jesus says in Mark 8, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. And here is one of the most penetrating questions of Scripture. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? You see, friends, if you live for yourself, you might gain everything today, but you will lose it all in the end. But if you live for Jesus, 
You could even lose everything today. But in the end, you will get it all. Isn't that amazing? Why don't I pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy shown to us in offering up your Son for us. Though we were undeserving, though we are wretched sinners, you did not even spare your own Son. How much more then will you provide us everything in him? Teach us, God, to cast our hearts before the cross of Christ, to fall on our knees before the cross of Christ, to live not just by faith, but to live in obedience to the word of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.